Welcome back to the Patriot Nation podcast presented by SB Nation. We are the voice of Patriot Nation. It is December 21st. Christmas is right around the corner, and we have a great show for you this week. A little Christmas present to you is Jerry Thornton from Barstool Sports. We have a great conversation with him. We also have Up High, Down Low, Too Slow, and also because we recorded stupid interview on Wednesday, uh, I do have uh, we do have a little bit of Josh Gordon talk before the Thornton interview. So you don't want to miss this episode. Enjoy and happy holidays. Cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has it. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Intercepted. Intercepted. Ryan Spagnuolo will be with us uh, as soon as the Jerry Thornton interview starts. A uh, little peek behind the curtain here. We recorded that interview and our up, uh, up high, down low, and too slow segment on Wednesday night. And then, of course, on Thursday, the Josh Gordon news came out. And so, you know, here I am uh, talking to you about the Josh Gordon thing. And, you know, we'll get into the Thornton interview in, in a few minutes. Um, but I just wanted to chat about the about the Josh Gordon thing. Obviously, a rough situation uh, for everybody involved. Um, you know, for Gordon, it's a situation where he needs to get his life in order. His life hasn't been in order in a long time. Um, really, since he was, you know, I mean, I can't even tell you how many years it's been. It's been a long time since his life has been in any sort of order. And even when he was playing well, he said he was drunk and stone playing. So maybe he's never been at that level. And so hopefully he can get his life and turn his life around. Because honestly, it's more than football, right? We're, we're talking about someone's mental health. And we hope, you know, only the best for him. Everyone seems to like him. All the, uh, you know, all the coaches seem to like him. All the players seem to like him. All his former teammates seem to like him as well. So, you know, it's one of those things where you, you hope for the best for the kid. But football-wise, this is it. I mean, this is it. Like, I, I can't imagine he ever plays in the NFL again. And honestly, I don't think he should, if I'm being honest with you. He's gotten opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And look, I get it. You want to say mental health and all this stuff. I, I, that's fine. The NFL is a ruthless and cutthroat sport. It's a business. And they only care about winning. And if you can't help them do that, they don't want you to be anywhere near it, okay? And you say, well, he deserves another chance. He's gotten like seven, okay? And how many chances is Malcolm Mitchell going to get? How many chances are guys that get hurt and lose their starting job and then never become a starter ever again and they're kind of, you know, going around as a, as a backup, right? And, and maybe it's a perfect spot and perfect position and everything like that. I mean, who knows, right? So I don't see how this thing for him is any different than 
a um, than a player getting injured. I, I just I don't see it. And so and again, he's had it over and over again. Even if you want to say it's not his fault and you know it's a it's a mental illness type of thing, well that's you know it's not Malcolm Mitchell's fault that he got hurt his knee. Like it isn't, but that's something he has to deal with. And from a from a playing perspective, I understand he can't play on the knee. I get that. Okay. But from a playing perspective, how can you trust a guy like Gordon to be on your team and really contribute on your team? I, I don't think you can. And I don't think it's fair. Uh, I don't think a team realistically is going to take a chance on that. And I don't think they should. And I don't think the NFL should allow that. I mean, he's an opportunity after opportunity. And, you know, he's signed contracts. And he's done this. And he's made agreements. And he's, you know, been in the, in the drug enforcement program forever. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, you just, he has to get his life right. And honestly, he hasn't been able to do it while he was in the NFL. It's really that simple. And so I just look at it and say, well, if he hasn't been able to do it in the NFL, maybe it's time for something in his life to change, which means get out of the NFL and get himself right again. It seemed like he was doing decently well over the offseason, um, you know, not around football and kind of focusing on his family and things like that. And so maybe that's the key to it. I don't know. Uh, but at this point, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Now, you want to get to into, into some football stuff. And again, like I said, it's more than football. It's about a young man trying to get his life back in, in order. Okay. And we wish him the best. And obviously, you know, we hope for the best for him. But we're here to talk Patriots. That's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about the team. He's not on the team anymore. And so we have to kind of talk about, you know, what's going to happen from here. Now, I mean, the guys are going to have to respond. You know, we're going to see how the guys will respond. Obviously, losing Gordon is a huge loss. But you have Hogan, who's barely been targeted this year. You have Dorsett, who's barely been targeted this year. You have guys that can do those things. I think maybe you see Cordero Patterson step in as a little bit more of a deep ball guy. One thing that Gordon brought that they haven't had in a long time since Moss is a guy that will go up and fight for the football. I'm not confident Patterson will do that. I don't know if he will or not. I haven't seen it yet. So, you know, we'll have to see. But Gordon was a guy that would go up and fight through traffic for the ball. That's something rare that you don't see in a lot of players. Um, and so that's something that will definitely be missed for sure. But, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to do it. They're going to have to figure out a way to replace him. And, you know, they're going to have to cobble it together with a bunch of different guys. That's really all they can do. And you just kind of hope for the best. And, you know, luckily they have two games before the playoffs to kind of figure things out and go from there. And we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, there's no other way around that. We'll just see what happens. I think Dorsett's a pretty good receiver. Uh, he's not going to get much yak yards. He's certainly not as explosive as, jo as Josh Gordon, obviously. And neither is Hogan. But... Those guys who have really been phased out of the offense this year, I feel like you have to create a role for them. And so we'll see what that role is. But if Gronk can stay reasonably healthy and assuming Edelman's playing, you know, to his best of abilities, uh, the best of his abilities, I should say, uh, you know, Hogan and Dorsett could be, you know, decent third, fourth, fifth options. And again, Patterson's really, I think, going to have to his play at wide receiver is going to have to uptick a little bit. And again, he's not going to be running all routes, but he's going to have to be on the outside a decent amount, running a few routes, doing this, doing that, uh, kind of as a deep guy and make the defense, you know, really respect him. Pull the top off the D a little bit and, you know, see what happens from there. So again, you know, you look at the Hogan touchdown from last week against Pittsburgh and it was really, 
three guys went with Gordon, and obviously, you know, there's a blown coverage, clearly. But, like, everyone's worried about Gordon, and so another guy, you know, one of the guys screws up and goes to Gordon by mistake. But they're doubling Gordon no matter what. So that means Hogan's got one-on-one in that situation. So, again, it, it kind of comes down to can you get a guy that can pull defenders away? And, you know, I mean, it's not going to be Dorsett. It's not going to be Hogan. Maybe it can be Patterson going deep. I don't know. You know, we'll see what happens. But again, exploiting those mismatches, I think, is something important. And if you go back to 2016, and what did they have in 2016? They had Martellus Bennett. They had Edelman. They had Amendola. They had Mitchell. And they had Hogan. Like, that's essentially what they have right now. And I know they're missing Mitchell. I get that. And they don't have Martellus Bennett. But they have Gronk instead. Okay. And, you know, they have Patterson and Dorsett instead of Mitchell. And so... I think that you know they can succeed with this offense. The play calling's got to get a little, uh, got to get a little bit better. They have to create ways to get those guys open. Some of those guys may not be able to beat man-to-man coverage, and that's okay. But you need to be able to find a way to get them open. So it's going to be a tall task for McDaniel's. But luckily, like I said, he's got two two games to figure it out. Let's hope they show up against the Bills because honestly, I know the Bills are terrible. But let's just hope they show up against the Bills. They already had the two losses hanging over their heads. They had played bad against the Steelers. They had that awful loss against Miami. So there was already a lot of pressure on them. Now the Gordon thing comes in, and that's even more pressure. And so we'll see how they handle the adversity. If it's anything like the Patriots normally do, I mean, I don't, I'm not concerned with the way they handle adversity because they usually look it right in the face and basically laugh in the face of adversity. So we'll see. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but... I think they'll be okay moving forward. Clearly losing Gordon on the field is, you know, it's a big loss, okay? Um, But, you know, I think they were always kind of planning for this. And, and, you know, again, look, the Patriots did this themselves, right? They understood the risks. They knew what the risks were going going into acquiring Josh Gordon. He hasn't played a full season in forever. He played 11 games in the past, like, four years total. And so I look at that guy and I say, well... It was bound to happen eventually, if not during the season, then after the season. And maybe not bound. I mean, you know, you don't want to think that way. But, you know, realistically, if you're looking at it, you know, mathematically, you just look at, it, you know, the probability of it happening, well, there's probably a pretty good chance that it's going to happen. Better chance than it not happening. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But again, it's it's a tough loss, but it's something that the Patriots should have anticipated if they didn't. And, uh, and let's hope that they're prepared for life without Josh Gordon. So anyways, we're going to get into the the interview with Jerry Thornton. And again, Spags is going to rejoin the show. Uh, and so again, just remember that the interview with Jerry and our segment afterwards was both recorded on Wednesday night before the Gordon news dropped. So obviously we'll sound maybe a little bit different than what, you're, um, than what you've been thinking about. But the interview with Jerry is great. So uh, definitely listen to that. And again, the, the up high, down low, too slow is talking about last week. So none of that really applies to Gordon anyways. So should be a good listen for you. Also, uh, just wanted to address the elephant in the room here. Uh, you may have noticed at the beginning, my voice sounds very uh, Dorian from the mask-like. No idea what the hell happened to the audio this week. Um, but I do apologize for that. But I hope uh, hope you enjoy the interview Anyways, focus on Jerry. He's the talent anyways. Don't worry. Just pay no attention. Pay no attention to the idiot with the ridiculously deep voice. 
So, anyways, here's our interview with Jerry Thornton from Barstool Sports. All right, so we are joined by Jerry Thornton from Barstool Sports. At, I mean, all of us schmoes wish to be him. He's the guy who started out as a blogger, just writing about the Patriots because he loved them. He was on EEI. He was on Felger. Maybe the most well-known Patriots writer out there. Jerry Thornton, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, fellas. Thanks, thanks for having me. And how crazy is that? Like, if it, assuming it's true, how how nuts is it that, um, yeah, I, I, my qualification for being what you just said I might be is I have a laptop with Wi-Fi, and that's, <laughs> and that's it. And I, I just, you know, I've now summed up my entire resume, uh, my entire reason for having that. But thanks for the compliment, and thanks for having me on. I, I really do appreciate it. Anytime, Jerry. Thank you. Yeah, and it, you know, it does, it gives us, it gives guys like us hope. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an older guy. I mean, not as old as you, Jerry, no offense, but like, I'm an old, <laughs> I'm an older <laughs> and uh, but, you know, I just learned to embrace it. Once in a while, I'll have somebody will say, "Like, how do you feel about being called old balls on the side?" Like, it was, a, you know, a little unsettling at first, but it's factually accurate, I guess. These, these balls right. are in you know, fact the age that they are, and I'm, I'm, I take it as a term of endearment. So, yeah, I get I get tears on you, and in a lot of ways, that helps me with what I do and gives me perspective and it's nuts to be to have balls of this particular age in your writing for uh 18 year olds and and yet it right. seems to be working out yeah no it's great and that's yeah. so we were talking a little bit off air about it and i think that uh we do want to get into your book so first of all before we get started here you do have a new book five rings super history of the new england patriots it's your second book. Obviously, the first one was about the Patriots as well. Father uh, Owen said it was great. I actually I haven't read it yet. I have three little kids, and I don't get a chance to read ever, <laughs> so unfortunately. But uh, I've heard it's good, and I'm like a kind of a Patriots historian myself. And so he's been a fan since back when they played at Fenway. And so, you know, he's he loved it, really enjoyed it. And uh, so I'm excited to read this one as well. Um, oh, yeah. And then, but, yeah, thanks so for I, mentioning it. I know. No, no offense taken. I believe me. I remember those days where, you know, I didn't read anything that didn't have Sam and Ham and I am in it. Like you, you, you get through those parts in your life, and then it sort of becomes easier. And then, you know, I, I spent many an hour on the floor of a kid's bedroom reading Harry Potter in all the original voices. So I, I know what you're going through. And and when you can actually do pleasure reading again. It's it's a wonderful breakthrough in your life. So, yeah, I I appreciate it. I, I I wrote the books because I always wanted to read them, and the world was taking its sweet ass time getting around to writing them. So I said, well, the hell with it. Oh, why don't why don't I jump on the grenade and do it? You know, the the, the first book from Darkness to Dynasty, it's about part of it is the, the era I grew up in, but pl- plenty of that predates me. It's the stuff. The stories my brothers told me growing up, the crazy, dysfunctional patriots that, you know, were playing in Fenway Park, but before that, Harvard Stadium, BC and BU, and they once had a home game in Birmingham, Alabama, and when they finally opened the place in Foxborough, it was the worst facility in the history of the planet Earth, 
you know, the, the first game ever, the toilets didn't work, and there was raw sewage everywhere. And, and this, yeah, and this was 2,000 years after the Roman Colosseum had, like, running water. But they built one in 1971 in Foxborough, and there were people just being directed to go pee against the wall in empty rooms and stuff. And those, those are the patriots that, for whatever reason, imprinted on me and made me like them even more than I like the other teams in town, which was, which is insane for that time period. Right. No, it's true. I mean, it's, you know, and it's, uh, it's funny. I mean, one like that. And I think that for me connected it because my dad's been, had season tickets at in 1967 at Fenway and kind of has had them in the family ever since. And I've been going since I was, I mean, since I can, so it's like, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of in our blood. And so you read someone and you know it's legit. It's not like, oh, this guy jumped on in, you know, 86 when they when I jumped on in, you know, 96 when they went. You know, it's like you stuck through everything and not only in spite of everything that was going on, but almost because of everything that was going on. And I think the sure. situation. Yeah, thanks. And, yeah, there were parts of that where – they were pretty good teams. I mean, you know, when I was real little and they they built some, like, a, a playoff teams and it was, like, a crazy, exciting time. Like, oh, my God, it's like they'd actually joined the NFL. And then in rapid succession, like, one disaster after another befell, including, like, you know, Chuck Fairbanks, who was one of the great innovators of all time, quit on the team as they were winning the division for the first time ever. And had taken a job to go back to college, broke his contract, and was in his office, his Patriots office, using the phone to recruit kids to come play for him at Colorado. And you thought, well, that's weird. What a strange Crazy. thing. That'll never happen again. <laughs> Fast forward to 1996, Bill Parcells takes the team to the Super Bowl. He had already accepted a job with the Jets and was using the phone in his office to make phone calls on behalf of the Jets. It's like, wait a minute, this has never happened to any other team in the history of the world. <laughs> and it's happened to Patriots twice in the span of 18 years. That's and in crazy. between that, they go to the Super Bowl, this crazy run where they go and they get demolished by the Bears. And you go, okay, well, still, that, that, those, those are the 85 Bears. That, you know, they were an unprecedentedly good team. That'll never happen again. You know, they'll, they'll be back. And within two days, the Globe had a front-page expose about a rampant cocaine problem going throughout the team. And three years later, they were the worst team in football again. So, yeah, those those are the Patriots of my youth that were that weird stray dog that followed me home from school, missing a leg and no tail and two different colored eyes. And I weirdly fell in love with it thanks to my older brothers just kind of football was their passion and it became mine and every day now I thank God that I cared then because it makes what we're going through right now all the sweeter right no it's true and you know what let's get into what we're going through right now because um I <laughs> I am I'm a very negative person outwardly I just watching a football game with me is like painful because i am just so so negative um and so i you know after watching last week's game against the steelers i disgusted just disgusted with 
Brady and with the lack of discipline and with McDaniels as, a, as an offensive coordinator and, you know, with their inability in a big game, which they've done consistently over and over and over again throughout this tenure by Belichick, it seems like every time they really need a win, they go out and get it. And, you know, I mean, you can go down the list. Like, Josh Gordon was one-on-one 30 times, and he got two targets. Like, Disgusting. You know, they threw to Gronk four or five times. It's just it, – it's ridiculous. And, and the amount of off false starts and holdings, and and it, it, you just go back and forth, and you're like, you know, decision-making by Brady and decision-making by Belichick. And it's so frustrating. And so, again, on the season over, I'm not saying that they're – but, like, right now you look at this team and you say – how in the world is this team going to compete for a championship right now? They just can't even get out of their own. Yeah, and, and all legitimate points. And trust me, I was in a dark place that game and Sunday night and Monday. And I, and I wrote about this on, on you know, the knee-jerk reactions that I always write the, the day after a game, which is like, okay, if you're one of those people – that has spent all of 2018 just trying to suck the life out of me like a Dementor out of Harry Potter's face. This is a great day for you because now everything is is in play. All the stuff you've been saying since January 5th when that Seth Wickersham piece that was largely fiction but had some elements of truth came out and you're saying, okay, this is it, you know, bad blood and they forced them to treat Jimmy Garoppolo and the quarterback hates the coach and Malcolm Butler and, and all this stuff. Fine. Right now you're, you're looking good. Like it feels like every one of your predictions is right. With a couple of days now, the, you know, the, the, the earth is spun on its axis a couple of times. And I'm looking at stuff like this thing that was uh, published in the globe. Dan Shaughnessy wrote it saying, this is it. The dynasty's over. Brady <laughs> looks beat. The team's not that good. Belichick had a terrible offseason. He let all these veterans go, and it's really cost them. Oh, let me remind you, fellas, what I've just quoted from Shaughnessy, what I just summarized, he wrote after the 2009 season. My point <laughs> being that we've heard this song and dance forever, forever with yeah. this like they're always on the verge of this is it, the dynasty is over. And with a couple of days of perspective, I've been able to take a step back and say, okay, the game against the Dolphins was a giant cosmic running kick right in the nads with heel toed boots to us. But it was a freakish play. They had that game won on the road against the division opponent, and they blew it with a with a bad tackling job at the end. The Steelers game, eight pre-snap penalties, probably 20 unforced errors, just drop after drop after drop and things like that. Josh McDaniels, to his credit, admitted correctly that he had a bad game plan going in. Mm -hmm. You're right about them ignoring Josh Gordon, James White, I would add to that. I mean, Chris Holgen catches that bomb and never sees another pass. So what we're talking about are tweaks and adjustments. And it, had they simply taken care of the game against the Dolphins, made a couple of first downs in the at Pittsburgh, you know, we're sitting on an 11 and 3 team and and it's business as usual. Now they did and that's on them. But I I, I think it's 
we're wrong to just jump to the conclusion that there's some larger problem going on here and that they're going to failure because we've heard this song and dance before and they just keep making it to conference championship games and Super Bowl. So I guess what I'm saying is, let's wait and see. This is still a team with plenty of talent that's well-coached, that's relatively healthy, and is poised to make a run here. Yeah, I kept saying it too. This is If, if there's any year that they're going to do it, it kind of feels like it'd be this one just because it's like we, we're not expecting it. We, we're expecting them to win every single year, and it, for them to win this year, I think it would be so much sweeter because everyone's counting them out. You know what I'm saying? Like the last couple of yep. years, it's been like Super Bowl. We, you know, they're going to the AFC title game. It's 60 minutes and then there's the Super Bowl. And, you know, they've obviously been on the on, on the right side of it the last couple of years. And the Super Bowl, they've had an amazing comeback in a, in a game where the defense just shit the bed. But like this yep. year, it would just be so much sweeter. It'd feel like that first one almost where they get there and everyone's like, oh my God, we're here. You know what I'm saying? As great as sure. they've been for this long. It's like, okay, let's go, you know? Yeah, and I, I think we're all guilty of having this kind of like, uh, you know, Dory from Finding Nemo memory where we think, well, I've never felt this way before. I've never felt like it was over before. I mean, how far back do we want to go? How about 2014, four weeks into the season, a trend still go, they're not that good anymore. And, you know, it, and, you know, People talking about starting Jimmy Garoppolo and, you know, the whole on to Cincinnati thing. Well, yeah, they figured that out, didn't they? And then, you know, other years where they've started two and two in September and figured it out. Now, yeah, if you were born the year that they last lost two games in December, back-to-back games in December, congratulations, you're about to graduate high school. So I get it. It's kind of weird. You know, they've averaged. Since 2003, they've averaged three and a half losses a season, which is why every loss feels like football Mageddon. You know, this is it. Oh my God, they lost the game. Like, the, the, the rivers will run backwards. The, the wolf goddess will swallow the moon. <laughs> the dead will rise from the crypt. There's no getting around this. So we're not, we're not used to it. It's sort of the normal state of other NFL teams. Big, big picture, looking at the rest of the season, please point to me that super team that they can't possibly get past. Because right. it was looking like the Rams a couple of weeks ago, well, they've lost back-to-back at three and three in the last six. Jared Goff is statistically the worst quarterback in the NFL over that period. You know, let's say they have to go on the road to the Chargers. Okay, that would suck, but they're going to go to a 30,000 stadium that's going to have 25,000 Patriots fans in it when they, when they get there. So, I, you know, we, we need a couple of wins here to start feeling good about ourselves, but I'm just not I, – I, I'm dialing back my panic that I felt 48 hours ago. Right. Well, and I think that's reasonable. I mean, it's certainly, you know, they have such a, a – such a, and – you know, being fine. I think the thing for me is that what's alarming to me is you say back to back, you know, December losses in 2002, and I use that stat as well, you know, illustrate it. However, 
in 2015, they did lose their last two regular season games. Of course, one of them was played in January, so that one doesn't count, yeah. which is fine. So sure. if someone call me out on using the stats to, you know, fudge the stats, that's all, you know. But, like, but it's one of those things where it's like, yes, but that reminds me, like, this team is starting to remind me of 2015, and that scares me because 09, they got smoked. And 09 is different because Welker – got hurt last game of the season and right. you know they were against, against Baltimore and Baltimore was a good team with a great defense and they came in and, and just and just slapped them around and 2015 I mean that team was a pretty if you know if they get Denver at home they win that game and obviously they're on the road so they didn't but that's like it's one of those frustrating things where you lose that and you don't want to look back. I mean, we look back at that 2015 see where, you know, Slater wins the toss in overtime and elects to kick the ball. And then, right. so then they lose that game. Then they come out against Miami and run it 35 times to Steven Jackson. And we're like, what are we doing? And you lose home field advantage. And, and then you have to go to Denver. And it's like, if we look back and, you know, Kansas city ends up beating us in Kansas city. And we feel like we could have won that game at home. Patriots are going to be kicking themselves for losing some of these terrible games, you know, that they should have won. And even if you want to go back to, you know, Detroit and Jacksonville and, you know, Tennessee and one team, but like, even still you go back to some of these games and you're like, if we had just won that game, we'd be at home instead of, instead of in Kansas city. And so that's the stuff that's starting to alarm me a little bit. Sure. Yeah, 2014 so think- happened, but it was the first four games of the year, you know? Right, you know, and the, and the the 2015 thing, not not to make ex- excuses, but you know that was a team that by the end was decimated with right. injuries. Um, sure. You know, they 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 lose an extra, they miss an extra point early in that game, and you go, okay, it's all going to come down to this, and you just felt it. And Brady was just under attack. I, I forget the exact numbers, but I believe that no quarterback had been pressured or hit that many times in a game since like 19. 19- 70 or something like that. Yeah, and foolish. he still wills them down to the red zone a few times. Remember, they kept going for it on fourth down and not getting right. it. And that, that was instead of kicking the, the three. Well, they got to the red zone three times. They got a score to pull them within two. Couldn't connect on the extra point. I mean, the, the, the conversion, that's the, the margin for error. Yeah. I, I sort of like put the 2009 in a separate category because that is without a doubt, stands alone as the most unlikable, undisciplined, leaderless team of this era. A lot of it was because the, the, the strong clubhouse presence, I think, you know, had all retired at once. You know, Rodney Harrison was yeah. gone. And Teddy Brewster was gone. Gerard Mayo had been drafted, but wasn't that place yet. You know, right. his status on the team wasn't enough to be the leader to take over. Brady had missed the entire previous season so what they got is what you know the patriots themselves referred to as negative leaders like so you had like you know a dalis justin thomas Thomas and you know and (laughs) you know who for your listeners who don't remember there were four guys who were late to a meeting because of a freak snowstorm were sent home the only one who bellyached about it was thomas he said hey you know my car can't fly i'm not george jetson Forgetting the fact that the quarterback on the team was there, was the first one in the building, and oh by the way, his supermodel wife had had a baby the day before. 
So right. you complaining about your commute in from like Walpole or wherever it was isn't going to fly and he was gone the next day. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, 2015 is sort of a different thing because they just were, you know, a shell of themselves. But everything that you and I are talking about now is a big part of the book Five Rings because eight trips to the Super Bowl and every single one of them has been on a razor's edge. You know, that throwing that 2015, how close that was, 2006 at Indy, they, they've won five Super Bowls. They could just as easily have seven or none. <laughs> like, right. Because they, it hasn't been a run like those. The Super Bowls of, you know, the 90s, say, where the Cowboys would be up by four touchdowns on the Bills and by the halftime, you're just saying, hey, so how'd you make this dip? Hey, whatever. And, you know, quiet. The, the commercial's on. Let's watch right. the commercial. The dog is making friends <laughs> with the Clydesdale or whatever. You know, the, the Patriots fans, we don't, we don't have the luxury of easy wins. Everything is, is absolutely balanced on the head of a pin. And, uh, you know, that's a first world problem. But, yeah, they, they almost won it in 2015. They almost blew it in 2014. They right. almost blew it in 2016. So I guess we just kind of, big picture, we take the bad with the good and say, my God, this, this hyper-relevance year in and year out is a pretty positive thing. Well, I mean, and that's the, and I think that's the craziest thing. And it, it speaks to, so Brady, Tom Brady has nine fourth crime drives in the Super Bowl to either tie the game or take the lead. Nine. And it's just like, how is that even possible? Like, it's just, he actually didn't do it in 2011. So he has nine in seven games, which is just ridiculous when you think, when you think of it that way. And it's like, but that's, but that, that's always close every single time. And you're like, sure. can you just give us one easy game, please? Oh yeah, and let's throw in things like the uh, the championship game against Jacksonville last year, where his basically his his throwing him thumb was almost severed, right. Um, right. and had that come back through two touchdowns to Danny Amendola in the fourth quarter against maybe the best defense in football. Uh, you know the the being down ten to Seattle, a team that had held the most prolific scoring offense in NFL history to eight points the Super Bowl before. They, they returned the same team intact, and Brady had two touchdowns against them just in the fourth quarter alone. Yeah. And the defense almost blew that one on them. So, yeah, I, I, I just think we could sit here and say, boy, how about if they had done this differently, they might have won that other one. And, and while it's, it's kind of legit, that way also lies madness because right. they had no business being down 25 points to the Falcons and coming back and, and winning it, but they did. And that that trophy looks the same as everybody else's trophy. So, sure you know, last sure year, does. he drops a ball. The, the, the Eagles go for a fourth and goal that they had no business going for, especially because right. they had an illegal formation that was never called. But anyway, um, their right. quarterback catches one. <laughs> And that's just that's just how it goes, and it, it's a better problem than being the Packers who have to sit there and say, 
let's look at all these playoff losses and say, why did that happen? How did we do that again? How did yeah. we not come back? Why well, I think I think even if you're regardless of of who you're a fan of, it's pretty difficult to deny that they've been a resting team. I mean, yes, it's always been them. I get that, but like mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, they could literally be eight and zero in the Super Bowl or zero and eight. It's that close yep. that one or two the other way, and they could be eight and zero or zero and eight. And you can't say that about anybody else. Where it's like every you know Joe Montana was in a bunch and Joe Montana had the drive obviously but other than that all those games were, were blowouts like they weren't close the, the Dallas like really didn't have any close games so it's like there weren't any of these great games played and it's like every time the Patriots get in the Super Bowl Super Bowl great Super Bowl except really and I know it was close but that 04 game against Philly even though it was a close game it just seemed like. It was just bull stunk that year, and they yeah. were stupid. It was just whatever. But you know that was that was a I would say the outlier as for I would say the most boring out of the games. Yeah, it was, and it still had to come down to you know it was a one score game. Rodney right. Harrison had to seal with a, a deception, but you know if Andy Reid and uh, Gunnar McNabb had their wits about them, that, that's a ball game. But instead, they just let the clock bleed down. And Belichick right. actually got on his headset and said, um, is it me or like, are we not ahead in this game? Like, I feel like, we're, <laughs> like they're trying to kill the clock on us. And, and that's how it felt for, for us. By the, the, the standard of Super Bowls throughout the 52 of them that they played, that one was a nail biter. And you and right. I are in agreement that out of all the past Super Bowl games, that one was the closest thing to a laugher. And, I, you know, kind of a, a something along these lines. I, I know I personally have to get better at just relaxing and enjoying Patriots games because I don't like it. it. It must be great to be these media guys who just, uh, they're just into the story. Hey, here's a great story. It's a close game. It's really exciting. I can write about this. But I'm like you guys. Like, I'm so emotionally invested that I don't have a lick of fun when the game is that close. I, right. the, 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 the Super Bowl against the Falcons, just to pull out an example, and I wrote about this in the book, like Brady throws that pick six. All my guests had already gone. Like, you know, my house was empty because I'm just in this fugue state. Um, when he threw the pick six, <laughs> I, I got on WebMD and found out I was having what they called stroke-like symptoms. You know, my pupils dilated, I'm sweating, my left shoulder is numb or whatever. By the time I went to overtime, I was hovering above my body and just trying to swim towards the light where my ancestors were, like, waving to me to come and pray for the sweet release of death. And and I didn't I, I didn't have as much as a fist pump until it was over. You know, same yeah. with the Philly game. Same with, God, the Pittsburgh last week. Same thing. I'm like, I just... I've just got to learn to get up off the couch and scream and yell because it's it's unhealthy. But it's right. a first world problem, man. No, nobody in no Giants fan right now is saying they're going to owe you poor things. It must be really right. hot for you. Our quarterback has led the league in three categories in his life, and they were all interceptions. But you guys <laughs> are having a high time because you might go eleven and five this year. So Jerry, I, I you know, 
switching it over a little bit to this year and the sure. problems, you know, internally and, you know, on the mm-hmm. field, you know, it, it's, I, I got to think, you know, and everyone's got to think there, there's got to be something I was talking about with my buddy today. There's got to be something going on there. And, and I always say, I can't wait for like the 30 for 30 type thing. If there ever was <laughs> one in like 20, 30 years when everyone finds out all the secrets that comes out of there, you know, I think it'd be the right. coolest thing. And it, there's got to be something going on in there because it just doesn't look right. You know, like, is Tom still meeting with Bill on Tuesday nights to go over the game plan for the week? Hell no. There's no way that happens. I'm, I'm sorry. There's no way. I, I'd be shocked if that still happened. And, and you know, I think they're both professionals enough to know and, and respect each other, but they're not, they're not on the same page, it seems like, those two. Well, I think nobody but those two actually knows, but – I don't That's feel true. like they ever were like tight. I don't think they were ever like boys, you know. I, I and nor do I need them to be. Like I don't need them to say, "Okay, so you're coming over and we're gonna watch This Is Us." Yeah, okay, see you then, you know. Or, <laughs> or like you know, FaceTime each other at night. Like you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No. Well, didn't like, it seem just, like he had that relationship with Garoppolo, or is that kind of the media's? You know, that was the media well, I, spicing it up a little bit. I, I think there's so much mythology built up around the Garoppolo thing. I really, yeah. truly do. I mean, I had a woman recently, and she was being sincere, this older lady, and bless her heart, she came to a book signing, and she said, I just don't think they should have traded Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm like, well, how are they going to keep they Jimmy Garoppolo? Thank you for saying that. So few people admit that. Like, yeah. There was one way to keep him. And it was after last season, after the 2007 season, say, Brady, you're out of here. Jimmy, you're our quarterback, which, by the way, means you're paying him $30 million because that's what he's going to get on the open market, which is what he got. Also, you're giving away the guy who just won the MVP, threw for 500 yards in the Super Bowl, and supplanted him with a guy who had done what to that point? Had played six quarters of NFL football because I'm right. we, we can't count the five whatever games that he won in San Francisco because those wouldn't count. They would not have existed. You're saying six quarters of football. I'm also with you. Goodbye, MVP. You're out of here because your birth certificate says 1977. So this woman said to me, yeah, but I, I don't like giving him up because what if Brady gets hurt? And I sat there dumbfounded for a second and blinking, trying to think of, like, how would my mom want me to answer this question? What polite <laughs> term for these? Because I feel like the, you realize that Garoppolo is hurt and Brady is still playing. Garoppolo has right. a non-contact injury. He's on the injured reserve for the second time in his career, and he's played, like, eight games or whatever in his 10 games right. in his career. So I, I, I think that the, their love of Garoppolo is – Maybe a little overstated. As far as like the general attitude goes, look, Brady and Belichick are very different sorts of cats. And I get that he probably thinks Belichick is a weirdo, but also is smart enough to say this weirdo has, is the reason I didn't get drafted by the 49ers and have two career starts and, and was drummed out of football. You know, he's part right. of the reason I'm the greatest of all time. And face it, Brady goes down, I'm just going to pull a random team out of my butt here and say, Arizona. He doesn't turn it to Tom Brady. No way. And, and Yeah, and and they kept him on as a rookie 
he was their fourth string quarterback. They kept him behind, you know, like they've never kept four quarterbacks before or since. They made him the number two the following year. I have a hard time believing that the Jets would have realized they had something in him. So um, the, the latest rumors, and I'm putting very little stock in that, but there's reporters saying, you know what, they have ironed things out and they have a better relationship this year than they had last. There was some tension last year. But at the same time, all right, let's, let's go by the premise that Brady's mad at him and hold a grudge or whatever. I've decided I want that because Brady has turned himself from the 199th pick in the draft, the guy taken behind Giovanni Carmazzi, <laughs> a, a, a goat herder, literally a goat herd, and who won't do interviews, so he's literally a lonely goat herd, yoda lady, yoda lady, who. And he, he used that anger. He used his resentment that Lloyd Carr had him on the depth chart behind his own son and then wouldn't play him over Drew Henson, and then being the, the seventh quarterback taken, and, and on and on and on, and Roger Goodell calling him a cheater or whatever, and has used that to turn himself into the best of all time. So if his latest target of his ire, the guy that gets him into the gym before everybody else is, I'm going to stick it to this guy with the gray hoodie with the cutoff sleeves, great, bring it on. It's, it's it's worked out really well for him. A lesser man would have, like, cut his losses and decided he had done enough with his career 10 years ago. He he hasn't. So let's let's just, let's just, you, him, let's allow him to continue to use that anger to fuel himself and to be in the greatest of all time. I agree. And I, one, just one quick thing about the Jimmy G thing. I like Jimmy G. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he will be mm-hmm. a good quarterback in the NFL. But how much do we really know? We saw six starts, uh, six quarters, I'm sorry, with the Patriots. We saw a few starts last year with San Francisco. But, you know, Brady's biggest asset is he comes to play every single day. And obviously he's towards ACL and nothing you could do about that. And Jimmy yep. G toured this year, nothing you could do about that. Non-contact but Jimmy G had the same, way, yeah. right, right. So, but yeah. Jimmy G had the same injury that Brady had, and no, Brady played through it and missed exactly zero starts, and Jimmy G couldn't play through it. And so, the question becomes: Can he play through those things? You're going as a as a star NFL, you're going to take a beating. Can you survive from week to week, from year to year? Can you do it? And and I don't know. Now maybe he can. Right. And maybe, you know, these two things are just a blip of play for 15 years and be one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Certainly possible. Right. But it would be the greatest thing to in risk that. Go ahead, you know, you really want to risk that? Uh, no, no, right. it's okay. But you really were willing to him not doing that to give up Brady? Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I, and I, believe me, I get this pushback when I state the simple fact that he started a handful of his games, games in his life and been uh, on the injury report like more times than Brady has in 19 years. Like, oh, you would say that if you're still on the team. But look, I'm just I'm just saying facts. The the fact is that you know years ago I used to go on Felburn Mads on a regular, and their question to me then was, would you trade Brady even up for Andrew Luck? And I said no, because I know what Brady is. I don't know what Andrew Luck is. Well. What I we now know about Andrew Luck is he's missed 
several, a couple of seasons worth of football and right. hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs. Right. So they, they jumped down my throat. Like, how could you say that? Look at Brady's age. Look at it. Well, Brady's been to three Super Bowls since we had that conversation. Like, let's find out what Jimmy Garoppolo is before we automatically anoint him as the, the, the next big thing. And I'm with you. I like him. He was great when he was here. He was, he was a good, loyal soldier. I, I root for him. I genuinely root for him. But when you hear the people over-exaggerating his resume, and by the way, some of them, including Pilgrim Ads, are the people who were furious that they drafted him. Like, that's a wasted pick. They need help right. on defense. What are they drafting this guy for until he, until they trade him? How could they live without him? It's, it's just insane. Um <laughs> We don't know. He was drafted around the same part of the following draft as Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler could have been the next hotness. Didn't pan out. So far, wouldn't it be so the great, Wouldn't it be the coolest thing ever to like end? I always say this: like, if if Brady and Bill were to beat Jimmy G in his first Super Bowl and then just ride <laughs> off into the sunset, it'd be the greatest <laughs> ending in, in pro sports history. I, I prefer they beat him on his first four Super Bowls. How would, how would that be? But then yeah. I, you know, I, you know, some people look at the world as it is and ask why. I ask as the world as it could be, and I say, why not? Uh, let's, <laughs> let's let's get Ted. Let's fill those fingers with uh, with rings. But yeah, it, oh, man. It's, it's there's just so much revisionist history on this that has to be held in check, and that's I'm going to be the the guy to do it. I mean, what if what if Garoppolo just turns out, I'm trying to think of a quarterback who is just injured a ton in his career, just never panned out his results. I mean, I don't know, Carson, Carson Wentz is going to be that. I'm hot taking it. The guy's the next oh. RG3. Oh, RG3 but... is a prime example. Yeah. And Carson Wentz might be well on his way yeah, to that, for sure. You know, and, yeah, and I, I think, you know, because we're going to get obsessed over the fact that Brady's 41 years old and therefore his course is common or whatever, then, you know, be be prepared for letting a guy go who goes out and has three more really good years elsewhere. He's not, he's not just necessarily going to be 2000, you know, 16 Peyton Manning or whatever, just a, just a 2015 Peyton Manning, right. to just name an example, 2010 uh, Brett Favre. This is, this is a right. different sort of animal who is, I think, has convinced himself right along that what his training method is is reworking what we know about human physiology, and I think he's determined to prove it. I think it's his calling. And when he talks about playing until he's 45, I think, I think he means it, and I think you'd be a fool to bet against him because you would have probably been the person who's been betting against him since Bernard Pollard took his knee out 10 years ago. Right. And that's so, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing right now is that people want to predict the ending, right? It's all about hot takes. And so it's like, I want to be the first one to say I got it. And it's like, well, you know, and Rob Parker sits there and beats his chest about, you know, the cliff, the cliff. The, it's like, dude, you said that like three years ago. Even if you are right this year, you still can't take credit for that. You said that three. You you don't get credit for that. It doesn't work that way. And so, yeah, you know, but everyone wants weird, to kind of have that hot take and say things like that, you know? Yeah, it's like a weird doomsday cult. You know, like the, the Hale-Bach right. Comet people. 
is that oh, the world's going to end on Thursday at, you know, 1225 in the afternoon. And then, you know, it doesn't. And they go, well, we just recalculated it. And uh, we, our numbers were off a little bit. I had a good friend of mine, like, I'm talking like 2015 maybe, sent me all these Brady stats about how he's on the decline and he's not as good as you think he is anymore and he's done. And I said, okay, I like a good argument. And I respect that you're backing it up and you've got these numbers and facts. But here's the thing, like, what do you get out of that? And I said, let's say you and I were having this conversation and you had the Internet in 1976 and you were trying to make the case for me that Bobby Orr is done and he's done and he's not the guy that you think he is. They're like, is that fun for you? And he said, oh, my God, you just got me where I live. I'm like, okay, you're a hockey guy. <laughs> I, 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 my, my point, exactly. I wrote this in the, uh, the other day in, on, on Firestool, and I said, right, let's say you're one of those Brady Sun guys. Well, well, the dynasty is over. It's like, oh, the dynasty is over. I told you. I've told you before. Now it's it, – it, it, I said, if I buy, like, a puppy for my kid, I could every day say, this puppy's going to die. You know what? Puppies don't live forever. Well, we better enjoy it. Right. It's going to be over soon. 12 years down the road, I could say, the puppy died. The dog died. Oh, see, told you. Told you I was right all along. I know everything right. there is to know about the lifespan of dogs. Okay, but <laughs> I just choose to love the puppy. Right. No, it's 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 a good point, you know. I draw a stick. I don't go. Oh, we had to take him to the vet yesterday. You know, his window is closing. He's not right. the dog he was before. Like, just enjoy. Like, these times are never going to come again. That's enjoy true. them while true. they last, instead of obsessing over how it's going to end. Because I, I just don't live my life like that. Right. I think it was. I, I don't. I'm trying to remember. So it was. It was from the Corp, actually, with A Rod and and Big Cat, which is a phenomenal mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, yeah. Somebody, I, I think it was Kobe, I don't remember, said that you know the the world loves fives, right? If you're a one, the world will try to bring you up. If you're a ten, the world will try to bring you down to a five, <laughs> and that's you know that's just where the Patriots yeah. are. Like they are at a ten. They've been at a 10 for 18 years, and the world's been trying to pull them 18 years. And, you know, and it's just, you know, well, I guess at first, right, they were pushing them up. And now it's like, oh, now you're too high. So now we're going to pull you back down. And so it's like it's been going on for a long time, and people are, are pissed about it. And I think if you're a Patriots fan, you have to just enjoy it. But if you're not, I mean, I understand. I understand you being upset. I'd be upset, too, if it wasn't my team. I'd be like, you kidding me, for God's sakes, you know? And so I get it, but, you know, that's that's just what happens, I think. Yeah, there are two unforgivable sins in American culture, and the Patriots have committed both of them. The first is to be irrelevant, which they were for 40 years. And the next one is to be really good for a really long time. You know, the, right. the best line about this ever is from Dark Knight, where they said, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. No, Batman right. wasn't sure. doing anything worse when the Joker was there than he was doing when he was battling Scarecrow, but he had stuck around being the hero for too long. And that's right. what the Patriots have done. And it, with, in their case, it's manifested itself with all this like crazy conspiracy theories. 
teams getting rules changed to stop them, whether that's the Colts with how you, you play defense or the um, the Ravens getting the, the league to stop allowing, like, the crazy formations or, or, or whatever, and then Spygate, and then right. Deflategate, and teams chasing, you know, Nazis behind the woodpiles, and Tony Dungy thinking <laughs> that they had the locker room bugged or whatever. If they had just won a couple of Super Bowls and then faded into obscurity, they'd still be liked and respected, but right. they haven't. And and right. it's a beautiful thing. And I, a while ago, I just learned to embrace it and say I I, w- I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, if they're going to be a wrestling yeah. villain, let them be a wrestling villain. That's a good point. That's a good point. So now, listen, I want what I want to do is kind of go back into your past a little bit, not too far into your past, but. But I think the the bar stool is fascinating because it started as a paper that Portnoy was just writing and handing out on the street. Were you writing for them at that time? Were you writing? Yes. With, so you were like one of the first guys. So you were like ground level. Yes. Um, I was looking for writing opportunities. I knew there was something I wanted to do kind of on the side. And um, got this pop-up ad. And it was from this site that said they're looking for writers, and it was less of a site than what you described, a newspaper, like the one of the freebies that you get in the, the boxes downtown, like the Metro mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, I said I was interested, and he said, you got a writing sample? And I sent them something. He said, okay, you're in. doesn't pay. But, eh, all right, whatever. And my thinking was, oh, it's a creative outlet, and um, maybe it'll turn into something. So I rarely ever even got to see a copy of the issue because I didn't spend a lot of time going in the city. And when I did, it was it was him, it was Jamie Chisholm, and it was Pete Manzo and me. And I'd read these other guys' stuff and just go, "Holy crap, these guys are good!" You know, yeah. I've, I've I've seen and read some stuff about the Beatles, and I, I, not to make this like trite comparison, like you know, comparing us to them, but like how. You know, McCartney would write something, and John, John Lennon would say, oh, crap, that was good. And then he'd be motivated to try to outdo him. And over time, kind of met these guys, and they were terrific guys. And then actually met Portnoy months after months after I was writing for him. And um, then he started throwing parties and invited me to them. And then I kind of tapped into this whole community people from the city, like younger than me. I mean, I, here I was in the suburbs with, with two kids and a mortgage and crap. And I'm meeting these people in their twenties who were super receptive and read the site and were on the message board and, and the comments section and stuff. And I just said, my God, this is a whole new world to me. And I, and I loved it. And we became a daily blog after a while. And that was an adjustment, you know, cause now I couldn't just do it. Right. At night after work, like I had to figure out a way every day working at a building that didn't even have Wi-Fi or Internet access. I was working for the state court system, and I was running this, like, pirate radio operation with a laptop and using my phone as a freaking mobile <laughs> hotspot and stuff and getting in trouble with, with, with my bosses. But I, I just felt like I'm going to keep pursuing this because I, I like it, and I got the sense, like, we have an audience. And they like what we do and they respond to it. And when the hatred rolled in, that was a sign that, you know, we're getting big. People started saying, you suck. I'm like, you know, like, (laughs) why don't you 
Definitely. I'm like, okay, that's weird, but I know that we're we're tapping into a thing here. And I, when other guys quit, I just said I I, I can't, and I and I rolled with it. And I every single day, I thank God I did. Oh, it's 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 really unbelievable. And I think the biggest thing is that you guys were first to do what you're doing. Right. And that's why it's so hard to kind of come into a space to try to do. It's just so unique. And not only I, I think, well, first is that you're good, like you're really good at what you do. And and I think, you know, for you personally, I wonder, like, has that has it changed for you? Is there any extra pressure on you there was before? Because I feel like, you know, you've been the voice of the Patriots from Barstool for so long. And obviously you left and went to EEI, but you were on the radio every day then and, you know, whatever. But, you know, has that changed the way you approach things at all? Because I feel like when you have that many people that read you every single day, that people are listening to what you're saying and making opinions and forming opinions. Just kind of curious if that pressure has had any effect on on what you've done. Um, it's pressure, but not at all in a bad way. Like, I, I, another thing I, I embrace, like, I had a weird moment. Um, I was doing some side work to WEIs before I was, like, on the air for them and and whatever, and I went to an event I was covering for them, and, um, you know, one, chat with one, like, Boston writer, and he introduces me to another Boston writer and he, and he says, um, he points to me and he says, he's the most widely read Patriots writer in this town. And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, no, I mean it. You are like, yeah, I know the numbers and you are. I'm like, how is that freaking possible? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, oh, okay. But when we started out, like it really felt like our thing was, you know, we were riding this wave of positivity among fans, among the teams. You know, the, the the Patriots had won three. The Red Sox had just broken through and won one. And it didn't reflect what you were reading in the, in the press, where they were still right. operating off of that Dan Shaughnessy formula, like, you know, the, the sky is falling and everything is bad and the teams aren't as smart as the writers. And it's like, you guys are still writing like it's 1994. And the script, the script has been completely flipped over, and so we were pushing back against the negativity, but also specifically against the media and just being fans. And I, yeah. I think that is still there. Like it's still part of everything that that I do. I think, in larger terms, everything we all do. You know, we're, we're, I mean, being responsible. Like when you can't just go out there and spew nonsense, and you know. And, and hatred and sexism and racism and you know, crap like that because you'll lose your audience. But if you bring in like a fresh take and you're honest, the internet right. is a meritocracy. And people sit there and say, well, this is cliche garbage. I've read this before. I'm not going to read this anymore. But if you're, if you're being unique and honest and you're not writing like it's 1994, like they're still doing at the Globe, and the Herald yeah. and other places like that, like you'll you'll have an audience. So you know, I'm I feel like I'm writing exactly the way I was doing it when I was posting stuff on a Patriots message board in 2002. You know, when I was posting knee jerk reactions to the to the games. I mean, I I try to be 
more polished and, and smoother about it, but I'm still just right in front of the heart. Same way. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And and also trying to have fun with it but while taking it serious. Like you say, it's a you know a pressure. Pressure is another word for responsibility. I feel like I owe it to the audience to to give it a good effort, and that's why I'll spend five freaking hours like writing about a single football game because I don't want to I don't want to miss anything or half-ass it or whatever. Right. No, it's a it's a good point. It's a really good point, and it's it's just I think the barstool the whole barstool thing is is. Um. Now, a question for you: Do you hate? Roger Goodell, because because Portnoy can say he hates Roger Goodell all he wants. Portnoy, uh, Goodell has made him ton of, as much as he might hate Goodell. He's made a ton of money from Goodell. So the question is, do, do I don't know if you've seen any of that money. So maybe you might be more likely to hate Goodell. Do you hate with the fire that Portnoy says he does? Oh, with the white hot intensity of a thousand pizza ovens. That doesn't mean he's not good for me. Like he has been great. He has provided so much content and fodder. But that doesn't mean that I don't despise him and think that his birth is the is the punishment for the sins of mankind. Um, but you know, he's a he's a completely useful idiot. And right. you know, the you know, I, not to give away too much personal info here, but I, I got a son who's very devout and religious and he's trying to live a good moral life. And he kind of objects to when I wear the, the blue clown shirt. He goes, well, oh, it's mockery and really not supposed to go. No, no, yes, I'm mocking this man. He is legitimately evil. <laughs> he, was, he has destroyed <laughs> a good man. He has tried to ruin our lives, but you turn that into a into a good thing. It, imagine what it want to be like to not have enemies. Like imagine this Patriots dynasty without all the hatred directed at them. It wouldn't be nearly as much yeah. fun. You know, yeah. it was unsettling for a while. Two thousand seven, I was already fully engaged on Barstool, and it was weird to me that every week, like everybody in the world, was saying all this negative crap about the Pats. But then it became a thing. For me, like I, I said, this is my voice is to push back against that. And I started a, a, a thing I still do once in a while, a bulletin board fodder. And I would just, you know, Anthony Smith from the Steelers guarantees right. they're going to win. Tony Dungy says that they're that they're cheating. And Don Shula calls them the Cheatriots and Bill Belichick. And it's been great. And the whole the crazy thing is when I was at EEI, so I'm sorry, for 2014 through 2016, both myself and Portnoy and Heidelberg simultaneously did this thing, that this defending the wall metaphor. You know, I wasn't right. selling t-shirts doing it like they were, but it was organic and it was genuine and we didn't steal it from each other. It was just this thing like we were going, this is perfect. This is a perfect Game of Thrones metaphor. Yes. And it's, it's made this whole Patriots run that much better. And so, yeah, my, right. my answer is I hate Goodell, but by God, I'm so happy that he exists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would agree. I own a few of those. I own a few of those barstool shorts. I, I must say. So, I, quick, quick, oh, quick question. My answer is really long. Like, I feel like I'm kind of doing a Peter King. <laughs> hey, listen. You ask me an eight-word question, and I'm going up. You know what's interesting? I had dinner with the TV Will. You're, you're good, Jerry. Don't worry. 
Don't worry okay, about okay, it. Thanks. We'd rather we'd rather that than someone sitting there like dissecting the game like a football nerd. So it's been all right. Like, so. <laughs> don't I, I, worry I, about I, it. I'm from I'm from Weymouth, Mass, and if you go more than a third sentence into any story, all my friends start like open up their eyes like whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I, I hey. tried to learn to keep it succinct, but I feel like I'm pontificating here. Listen, Jerry, I know it's our show. No one's tuning in to listen to us, though. So you know that's just that's the way it goes. I'm down with the other people talking. That's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> So, listen, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Your book, Five Rings, Super Bowl History in New England, anywhere you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever. And while you're at it, buy From Darkness to Dynasty, first 40 years of New England Patriots as well, because what the hell? I mean, like, you know, coming up, it's a perfect gift for, you know, that Patriots fan in your life, that Patriots historian in your life. Um you know, and again, I'm excited to read it when I eventually have a chance when my, uh, my life stops being it. so insane. But, you know, yeah, I, 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 uh, I definitely I, will be getting I, it for my dad. The, so. the first one can help for someone who doesn't understand the full breadth and depth of their utter futility. I, I have a 22-year-old who, when I was his age, they won the first playoff game of my lifetime. And he's seen them go to eight. Super Bowl, so I think it's just a, you know, it makes you appreciate things more. Huh? I'm like that guy who grew up in the Depression, and even though I'm doing right. well now, like, I'm still saving time, right. because you never know, there could be a shortage, you know, better hang on to this, like, thanks. I think I appreciate the, the good times a little bit more, because I've known the, uh, I, I, I knew when it felt like they were leaving, and they were going to move to St. Louis or whatever, so, that, fellas, you, you guys have been a blast, thanks, thanks for having me on, and thanks for letting me um, share my psychosis with, with you guys and your audience. Jerry, thank you very much. Absolutely. You're a huge fan of yours, so keep up the good work. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you guys do it. You know, first time we've done it, let's not let it be the last. All right, sounds that good. That sounds good to me. All right, once again, thank you, Jerry Thornton, for coming on to the show. All of you, check out his work. Check out his book. Uh, books, sorry, plural. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a great guy, as, as you guys can probably tell. We, uh, we really thank him for coming on to the show. Uh, and kind of settling us all down. Hopefully you're settled down now, too, after that interview. Uh, we'll, we'll head into our final segment of the day, Pat. Up high, down low, too slow. I'll start us off with up high. I mean, r- pretty much the only real up high of the day, J.C. Jackson. We keep raving about him week after week. Another undrafted gem by Bill Belichick. It's getting to the point, Pat, where, like, Belichick just needs to go, screw the draft, give me all the undrafted. So let's let's make a team undrafted because those are the only ones that freaking pan out. Just uh, did a great him, job. All the picks. Held uh, Juju Smith-Schuster to four catches for 40 yards and no touchdowns, I believe. I know him and Antonio Brown were held to 889 and one. Uh, just a great job. Made probably the biggest play of the game that set up that final drive that turned out to be a dud by Brady um, with a great pass breakup on J.C. Jackson on uh, on third down there. So he, he, he was phenomenal once again and he's definitely solidifying himself as that number two corner as we head down the stretch in the final two weeks of the season absolutely he's been fantastic and the other up high uh is the other side stefan gilmore and you mentioned brown's numbers and you know antonio brown did pretty much nothing and those two guys really shut down passing attack roethlisberger had a really poor game uh, you know, Gilmore had the tip pass that ends up in the Harmon interception in the fourth quarter. Of course, Patriots do nothing with the ball, but never uh, he makes that play. 
And so again, it's just stepping up at the right moment to the right time. If these two can step up and play this way all throughout the rest of the year, they're going to be a tough team to beat in the playoffs, assuming the offense can figure it out, which, I mean, you feel like they would have to, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and for our next up high, Pat, we get to Ron Harmon. Uh, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong. He's now second in NFL history in fourth quarter interceptions. He had two interceptions on Sunday, obviously, earlier in the game on Big Ben and that, uh, and then one in the fourth. Um, the closer, I call him the closer. Everyone calls him the closer just because he's just so good in clutch times. Everyone's like, oh, he's making five and a half a year. You know, Mike Felger yelling about it. It's like, well, hey, he might not be the greatest guy in coverage, but he's there when he's needed and he's making big plays. So, I, I mean, he's been phenomenal, and, and he made two big plays in that game that I wish the Patriots are so good at converting off turnovers and turning points. Um, you know that I, I wish they were able to to you know make a better make make those interceptions mean something more. Well, it's funny you call him the closer, and the reason we call him the closer is because he now is uh, number one. To, he was drafted in 2013. Since 2013, he fourth quarter interceptions, which is the most in the NFL in that span since 2013. And that's not an accident. It's not like. Oh, he's just in the right place at the right time. That's not what is there in coverage when it matters the most making plays. And some of them have been tip balls, but some of them have not been. And so it's just one of those things where he's there, he's making plays, and he's been he's been legit. And uh and so next on the list is Hogan, Chris Hogan. Really only had that one catch, you know, but I mean my saw a screen grab of Hogan and it was pulled out pretty far and he was the only guy in the field. And it was just like, you couldn't see anybody else on the field. And it was crazy. You know, Gordon ran the other side and they sent Gordon and nobody covered Hogan. Now clearly it was a blown coverage, but it was just one of those things where it was like, wow, like why haven't they been able to do this all year? And that's one of the questions that almost comes out. Hogan is there. Why aren't we getting him the ball more? Because, they're so worried about everybody else. Just get the ball to Hogan, and, and it hasn't happened. So let's see if we'll kind of turn it around a little bit. I agree. Great to see him come back and, and make a big play in that game. They they scored, you know, that big touchdown, and then were held scoreless for without a touchdown at least for uh, 53 minutes of the game. Um, heading down to down low, obviously, could pick from anyone. Uh, first on our Hold list, on. Trent Brown. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Were you talking? The, the up? No, no, no. I just interrupted you. Oh, because it's the, been a, like sorry. a little delayed. It's like weird. It's kind of laggy. So I was like, "Shit, was he still talking?" Oh, really? Yeah. No, the uh, the last up high because we did four. The last up high I wanted to do was the was the punt team. Oh, uh, shit, with you're Slater, right. Okay. Slater and Burkett with that last. You go ahead play, and just it take was that. Slater. Okay. You go ahead and so, take that, and then I'll just go right into down low. Okay. All right. And then the last up high that we have is going to be the punt team. And that's, you know, and Matthew Slater. And it was, I think it was Jonathan Jones on the, on the play as well. Just what a phenomenal play at the goal line, Uh, you know, stuffing. Of course they got right out of it, but, you know, but just what an unbelievable play. And you don't see, you know, every now and again, you will see one guy 
jump into the end zone and knock the ball back. But to see one guy jump in and knock it back and then jump in and knock it back and the third guy with the other guy avoid the ball and avoid the player. Because remember, if Slater is out of – if Slater touches the end line to, or touches at all and then just touches Jonathan Jones, Jonathan Jones, it's a touchback. So he does, he doesn't have to touch the ball. He just has to touch the guy that's touching the ball, touchback. So a great job all around by them down in the ball, you know, inside the, I think it was the two yard line at the two yard line. What a phenomenal play that was. And again, Patriots really played like crap and, and there wasn't a lot of highlights. That's definitely one of them that will stick with us for a while. And, and if that doesn't make the final, that doesn't make the end of the year highlights. Like, I don't know what should. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Probably the most athletic thing I've seen in a long time. Um, but let's just get into the negative right away. I want to beat up on this dead horse. Um, down low, could have probably could have picked from a lot of people. Trent Brown, miserable. Miserable game. He's been so good, I know. And just the, the penalties could not stop. TJ Watt, I believe, was all over him. Uh, just couldn't give Brady really any time to throw, especially on that final drive. It's just... Too many penalties, and he, he was like the leader in it. Just, he was bad, man. He was so bad. You know what's interesting about it? He wasn't the one giving up the uh, the hurries. He, as a matter of fact, he gave up zero hurries, if you can I thought it was – was it, he was had it about, Cannon? He had about 14 penalties. Marcus Cannon, who's our next down low, is the <laughs> one that every single play by T.J. Watt, and it was just – it got to a point where it was just like, what are we doing? Put a tight end there. Put a back. Do something. He clearly couldn't handle the speed of T.J. Watt, and he was getting beat every single time. And again, Trent Brown, like you said, you know maybe he didn't have the hardy stats, but my God, every play he was offsides or holding or doing something he wouldn't shouldn't shouldn't be doing. And so, regardless of the hurries or not, he's definitely deserving one on the list. And again, Cannon's on the list too. If you got on the on the down low list. That ain't good. So, uh, and the next on the list is Edelman. You know, and Edelman's been fine. He's been okay. Here, Edelman. And, you know, this might get a little bit of flack and and whatever. And I, uh, I'm kind of crafting an article about it. We'll see when it comes out. But Edelman's starting to remind me of 2012. And 2012, Wes Welker, for those of you that don't remember, all of a sudden he was dropping balls. All of a sudden, he wasn't quite as crisp. And it was because he had lost a half a step. He had lost a half a step. And he knew that he needed to make a play once he caught the ball. And Edelman hasn't had a lot of drops. And I, If you go back for years, he, he had some problems with drops. But for the most part, he's been really good not dropping the ball and catching the ball. And he's just been turned, catches it really kind of taking his eye off the ball. And to me, that means he's speeding things up because he feels like he needs to go faster because he feels like he's not fast enough right now. You know, maybe he feels like he's not quite there with the ACL, and that's definitely a possibility. But that's what I see right now, and I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I see right now. Kind of see where it goes from there. But so, but Edelman definitely down low to this game. Yeah, he, you know, it's been a struggle the last couple of weeks with holding on to the football. I remember, I think he fumbled twice in that Minnesota game, kind of got bailed out by a recovery, right. and then a ball that went out of bounds and a couple drops. Gordon, too. Um, 
the last two on our list kind of go hand in hand on the down low. Tom Brady and then I, we had Josh McDaniels. Yep. Brady man, just you know, it, it's it, not that it was completely his fault, but just the 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 game plan, which is on McDaniels, why he's there too, was so bad. James White, once again, nothing. Maybe they're saving his bullets. They didn't throw to Gronk. I think he had one target. Him and Gordon, two targets in the fr- in the in the first half. That's two straight weeks, I believe, that that's happened. Maybe it was against right. Minnesota, but it's just a trend that's just head scratching because those are your two biggest guys that can make plays if you get them the football. Then all of a sudden, it's force the ball to Gronk, force the ball to Gronk, and and it just it was it was brutal and and it was just so unpatriot. Like I think I've been saying that the last couple weeks, it, it was just so. I was just like, what is going on here? It's just, you know, it's one of those things. That, and you look at Gordon, and we talked about it with Jerry, but, you know, he had he had single coverage, 30 snaps, and they targeted him twice. He's Josh Gordon. Like, I get it. Fine, you're having trouble with protection. You can't run a long play. Throw a back shoulder. Throw one downfield and, and, and let him, like, I, I just try something. Because he's too good of a player to not try to take advantage of that. And maybe it doesn't work, but, like, take advantage of that. And, of course, some of that's absolutely on McDaniels. But Brady's been in the league long enough to know if I see an advantageous matchup and it's there over and my offensive coordinator is not accounting for it, I'm just going to do it myself because this is going to help the offense. And so, you know, I'm I'm – lumping Brady in there too because to figure that out on his own. So um I think those are those are two perfect ones. And our and to finish slow, it off Pat. Oh god and the we'll offense the offense. So, so and honestly our so our two slow here is just the offense. I mean the offense in general, right? The you know the inability to to counteract them, the inability to to um, capitalize on bad plays by the Steelers. I mean, the Steelers wanted to give that game to the Patriots. They were giving it to you, and they wouldn't take it. And that's the most frustrating part where you look at it and say, it's not like the Steelers played great. The Patriots just played so bad that the Steelers literally couldn't lose. One of those things where it's just like, man, like he just, it's so frustrating. And defensively, I know people say that the that the defense wasn't good. And listen, I'm with you. I understand. Good. However, however, in the Stephen A. and Stephen A. Smith voice, um, <laughs> Doug Kide tweeted something out, which I thought was really interesting. He wrote an article from Nesson.com. Steelers running backs versus the Patriots and Dime had 11 carries for 106 yards. That's done. Now that's because they have all all D backs in the field. Versus that they had five carries for 20 yards. Versus the regular defense, they had six carries for 32 yards. So if you're running, and, you know, still a decent amount, I get that. But, like, you know, that's six carries. So it's not like, you know, against nickel and regular, that's 11 carries for 52 yards. Like, yeah, it's about five yards, but it's not what they average for the game. So to me... They let them run because they knew in order to beat the Patriots, they had to throw. And that's where the Patriots did it. And they gave them 17 points. Like, you can't blame the defense 
if the defense gives up 17 points. You just you can't do that. You can't. I said that and after so, the game. You know, it's crazy. You score 10 People points. People are still doing that about team. You should win 99 times out of 100. Right. 100%. And and look, People are people are comparing it, or people were, have are still saying about the 07 Super Bowl that the 07 Super Bowl had defense because they couldn't get the field. The defense gave up like 17 points in that game too. If the defense gives up 17 points, you need to win. Period. To end win. discussion. That's the way it is. With number 12 back there, yes. With Gronk and Josh Gordon and all those guys, like you need to be able to put up 20 points. You need to. And if you don't, well, then then you deserve to lose dozens place. So, um, you know, frustrating. But, but you know, listen, we'll move on from here. We move on from this week. We get the Bills coming in. Let's stay confident, right? Don't forget what Jerry told us, and we'll, we'll stay confident and positive <laughs> as we as we move forward. And hopefully, next week we'll be talking about a win, clinch in the division. You know. Let's hope that happens this week. Let's get back on track this week, everyone. And, uh, you know, let's let's get back. Like I said, let's get back on track, settle down, and let's get ready for a deep postseason run because you know we're capable of it. Let's go now. Yes, sir. Now we go. Yes, yes, we do. So, listen, thank you for coming along again. Another week. Spags, have a great episode. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Merry Christmas to you, Pat, and uh, all our listeners. Hopefully it's a a good holiday and uh, maybe a little – pre-Santa gift, you know, we get one uh, you know, a Patriots oh, win nice. finally. Seems like it's been forever. I know. It'd be nice. Get a, get a nice little dub at home. Hat and t-shirt game. So, you know, uh, so that'll be nice. And then you could buy, you know, hats and t-shirt. Although, if anyone, I mean, just say, you don't if, you're out here, if you're out here buying AFC East Division Championship, then you should be a, you should you be a, you should be a friggin' Houston Texans <laughs> fan for all I care. Get out of here with My that crap. God. Can't I remember the money on it. The Patriots just stopped selling it because it's like, who's going to buy it? No one. And that's the thing. And that's, you know, it's like, I remember when the Patriots went 16 and 0 back in seven, my mom went out and she's like, do you want a two, 16 and 0 shirt? And I'm like, no, because why do I want that? I don't care about the regular <laughs> season. I care about the Super Bowl, you know? So, so that, and even AFC, I'm like, AFC, I'm going to wear an AFC championship shirt. Like, come on. I, what, what, what are we, the Colts? Like, I don't care. Yeah, you know, and so that's uh, so. Anyways, but either either way, free hats and t-shirts. So you know, if you're getting them for free, like the like the players are, it's it's a nice little perk. So uh, thanks again to Jerry for coming on uh, again. Read Barstool every day. I'm sure you do, anyways. But Jerry's uh, Jerry's articles on Barstool. Follow along with him. Buy his book, Five Rings: Super Bowl History of the Patriots. And while you're at it, like I said, buy from Darkness's Dynasty as well. He's a really Good writer, they're really good books. And again, I have three kids, so I don't have time to read. <laughs> so, but everyone that I know that's read them loves them, really enjoys them, and they'll absolutely check those out. And they make a perfect Christmas gift for your Patriots fan out there. So, so look into that. And uh, as for us, you know, follow the show, like the show on on, uh, on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff, and just enjoy the holiday. Boys and girls, enjoy time with your family and, uh, you know, time with your friends and some time off because that'll be nice. So I'm ready. I'm about ready to check. I'm a teacher. I'm about ready to check out. So so (laughs) it'll be nice. So anyways, guys, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.
I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>